uh, we jump into our series, uh, I was thinking back this week to the very first church that I interviewed at to be a youth pastor before I came to Church on the Horizon at that time and City Church now. Um, I interviewed at four or five different churches, and, and the very first one I interviewed at was actually in Jackson, Mississippi. It was my first time ever coming to the great state of Mississippi, and I flew in from Oklahoma, and, and I went to this church. And it's called Faith Christian Family Church near the reservoir. And, and I visited this church, and this church had had an incredible move of God back in the late 80s and early 90s. And God had blessed them massively. They, they had really grown. They had reached a ton of people, and they'd been blessed with some amazing facilities. This church had a ton of money in the bank. They were in an amazing position. And yet their numbers had started to dwindle. They had started to shrink. They had started, uh, the church had really started to die. And as I was there in 2005 and, and really prayed through, God, is this the place that you have me to go? Uh, I knew very clearly that it wasn't, and not necessarily because the church was shrinking for other reasons. Uh, but I remember just wondering what was going to happen to this church. And just last year, um, the Mississippi District of the Assemblies of God asked me to come, and I was shocked by this. They asked me to come and speak at a pastor's conference, and I'm like, I'm a rookie. What do I have to tell any pastor about anything? But they asked me to come in and actually speak on the idea of using social media for ministry. And so I went in, and I put together a little presentation for these pastors, and some of these country Mississippi pastors, I mean, they can't spell Facebook. So uh, I was opening their eyes to a whole new world. And I went down there, and the crazy thing is they hosted it, at a church in Jackson. And as I pulled up to this church in Jackson, I was amazed because this church that they were hosting it at used to be the church that I interviewed at. And so I began to ask some questions like, well, what happened to Faith Christian Family Church? What, what, where are they now? And Faith Christian Family Church is shut down. It is no more. It no longer exists today. They shut down, they foreclosed, and some other church came in and bought their building. And so I'm walking through these halls and feeling like this, this crazy deja vu, because you always remember your first job interview, especially when it's something that you actually flew in for and you put together a little message for and tried to preach your butt off as best as you could for some young people. Uh, it, it was an amazing experience, and, and it was just like almost like seeing a ghost to walk through this place and realize that this church, that at one point in time, not really that long ago, 20 years ago, this place was filled with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people on fire for God, and today it no longer exists. And the thing of it is, this uh, is warned to us in Scripture. The Bible warns us about this. You don't need to turn there, but in Proverbs chapter 27, it says this. It says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Just because you're hot today doesn't mean you're going to be hot tomorrow. Many of you uh, have experienced this. Maybe there was a department store that you grew up with that everybody went to that department store. That was the place, or that was the store in the mall. And that store doesn't even exist. Or maybe there's a restaurant that your family really enjoyed and, and that you love to go to, and now you drive by that place where that restaurant was, and it's... There's no trace that it ever even existed. Just because you have something going on today is no guarantee that you will have something tomorrow. Just because the king today is good and God is using that king doesn't mean the next king is going to be used. The crown is not secure for all generations. And that's how these churches are. Uh, in fact, there, there's so many churches who are like this. Churches, uh, we served at a church when we went to Atlanta 
on our mission trip. And, and we stayed at a church in North Atlanta that, that we were really excited to be a part of. But we actually served at a church in the very heart of downtown Atlanta. And this church was huge. I mean, a magnificent facility. There, there's places like this in downtown in pretty much every city in America. These massive congregations, these places, these almost uh, temples of worship where you can go in and see these relics of what God did 50 years ago or 100 years ago, and now these churches are almost empty. They barely even exist. They've got millions and millions of dollars worth of property value in the very heart of a city, and yet nobody is a part of these churches. And so what they had to do, this church with this amazing location, with this amazing history, with this incredible financial value, they couldn't even put together a vacation Bible school. They had to bring in teenagers from DeSoto County to put together a vacation Bible school for their kids because they didn't have the manpower to do it. And, And there's churches like this all over the country. In fact, uh, it's not just big churches who are relics, who we can look at what God has done in the past there. It's it's churches of all size, medium-sized churches and small churches, average-sized churches, which, by the way, we're an average-sized church. The average church in America is 80 to 100 people, so we are right there in the average zone. And, man, we're believing we're going to push past average. We're going to be above average. Uh, But we see churches of, of all sizes who have begun to drift, who have begun to get away from what God used to do. I saw a statistic this week that broke my heart. Every year in America, 3,500 to 7,000 churches shut their doors. Every year in America, somewhere an average of around 5,200 churches shut down on an annual basis in our country, in a country of 50 states. That means over 100 churches per state are shutting their doors every year in our country. It's, It's an epidemic. It's a problem the crown is not secure to all generations. Just because God is doing something somewhere today is no guarantee that that place will still experience God in the future. So today I want to talk to you about what I'm calling the forgotten ministry of Jesus. If you're taking notes, that's going to be the title of our message today. The forgotten ministry of Jesus. Truth is I have many dreams City Church. I dream that we would be a giving church. I dream that we would be a sending church, that we'd be sending missionaries and sending church planners out across the globe. I I dream that we'd be a church of outreach, that we would continue to build on what God is already doing here and getting out into our community to reach the last, the lost, and the least. But above all else, I hope and pray the City Church would be a sustaining church. That what God is doing here today would not just be a footnote in history, but that we would raise up people who would pass on what God is doing to the next generation and the next generation until as many generations as God decides to allow us to continue to be on this earth. I want to see our church sustained. And if we're going to do that, we need to learn from the mistakes of those who have gone before us. We need to learn to lean into the presence of the Holy Spirit, to look to Scripture as our guide, to look specifically to the person of Jesus as our model for ministry. He is our model for all things. And when we think of Jesus' ministry, we remember him doing many things. We remember him preaching. We remember him teaching. We remember him doing, having a healing ministry. We remember him performing miracles. We remember all these 
great things about Jesus, but I want to show you five instances, and there's actually seven. I don't have time to show you all of them, but I want to show you five instances where Jesus engages in a ministry that I believe is very easy for us to forget that he was a part of. See, it's so easy for us to, to many times overlook certain people or certain things because we get familiar, because we get too close, because we encounter them every day, and, and we just kind of overlook them, and I believe that's what we do so often with children. And so I want to show you Jesus the children's minister. I want to show you Jesus' heart for kids. Back in the fall of 2006, I was the youth pastor here, and uh, Pastor Jason, who was the pastor who brought me in, he sat me down in the fall, and, and he told me he wanted me to take over the children's ministry. At that point in time, it was called Horizon Kids. And uh, I'll be honest, that was the last meeting I wanted to have with Pastor Jason. I had no desire to lead our children's ministry. I was not excited. I remember actually Leonard and Paula were a couple of my key leaders who uh, thankfully he recruited to get on board with me to help me out. But just being real, I was bad. I was not good. I was not a good administrator. I didn't have very good organizational skills. The skills that allowed me to succeed in the 662 did not translate over to children's ministry. In the 662, I just had to rally people and motivate them to get in the lives of a kid, and I could handle the, the preaching and teaching pretty much myself. In Kid City, you've got various classrooms, and you've got to delegate, and you've got to organize, and you've got to have stuff prepared, and that was not my skill set at all. It's still not my skill set, but I promise I've come a long way, mostly thanks to Melody. She's helped me to get my stuff together. A whole lot more than I once did. Uh, but I was not very good at this at this point in time. And really, I had a bad perception of kids' ministry. I thought that kids' ministry w was something you did if you weren't good enough to minister somewhere else. Uh, I thought that kids' ministry was something you did if you were a woman, uh, and I wasn't a woman. Uh, and so I did not think that this was my department, but I didn't really have a choice. Uh, I was getting paid by the church, and the pastor told me this is what you need to do. I'm giving you the children's ministry. So I sucked it up. And I took the children's ministry, and a crazy thing happened while I was completely mismanaging this ministry. I discovered a heart for kids. Okay, God used that season uh, where I was in Horizon Kids to raise within me a heart for that generation, not just for the teenage generation. And so I, what I did is uh, I, I got really crazy, and I decided, okay, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to be in here every Sunday. And so I committed for, I don't know, it was around six months long. I was in Horizon Kids teaching. Every Sunday, and I recruited some crazy teenagers to get involved with me to help do puppets and skits and stuff. Samantha was one of those young people, and Elena, who you probably know. Uh, and we got in there, and we just started loving on kids. And we discovered, man, the kids have a real ability to understand who God is. They've got a real ability to perceive the word of God. We also discovered that kids have some real problems. The kids go through some legitimate pain that, that the way that we look at them, the way that we perceive them many times is incorrect. And so uh, I developed this heart for children. And I want you to know as your pastor, man, Kid City is so dear to my heart. The things that happen in Kid City, the kids who are in there right now are so central to what we do, so important to the ministry of this church. And, man, whether you are, uh, man, it's Maggie and you're a few months old and you're in the baby's room all the way up through Keegan, who's crazy for her to be like, I'm the oldest kid in Kid City because I remember when she was in juniors. Uh, it's amazing to see what God is doing in the lives of these kids. So Matthew chapter 9, we're going to start here. Excuse me, I might have told you chapter 10. But Matthew chapter 9, we're going to start today, and we're going to see Jesus interacting with kids. Verse, starting verse 18, it says, While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died. 
But come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. We're going to skip down to verse 23. It says, when Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, which this is a funeral going on. That's The flute players were there to help with the mourning process because this girl had passed away. Jesus said, verse 24, go away. The girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. This is a first encounter in scripture of Jesus ministering to a child. The Gospel of Mark tells us that this girl was 12 years old. She's 12 years old. And we discover very quickly that this girl had a problem. She had a big problem. She was dead. She needed the power of God in a mighty way. And Jesus stepped into her situation. I believe this is the number one reason that adults, especially men... That, that a lot of times that we distance ourselves from children's ministry, we think that every other ministry is more important because we underestimate the problems that kids experience. We underestimate the things that they really go through. We have no idea that they really have the same types of problems, the same types of issues, the same types of pain that we do as an adult. We think it's not that big of a deal. I'm telling you, it is a big deal. I remember being nine years old. It was April, two th- or not 2000, April of 1990. My sister, who had just turned 20 years old, she had gotten pregnant when she was 19. And at 20 years old, it was the day before Easter, she went to the hospital. They had to rush her to the hospital. She was having complications with her pregnancy. She was about six months along. And she went into labor, and she had my nephew, my first nephew, David J., and he was born dead. And I was was at home. They didn't take me to the hospital with them. Mom and dad went with my sister, and I got news of this, and I was crushed, man. I was devastated. I had no idea how much I loved my little nephew until I found out I wasn't going to get to meet him. And I was heartbroken. And in the midst of everything that was going on, my need, my, my heartbreak, heartbreak was really overlooked. And I completely understand why. Mine was much less significant than what my sister was going through, obviously. But I remember having... I wasn't the kid. If I had a problem, I wasn't going to tell you about it. If I was excited about something, I was going to talk your ear off about it. But, man, if I had some pain, I was going to keep it to myself. And I remember just staying in my bedroom and just being so upset and having nowhere to turn and no one to talk to. And many of you have memories similar to that. My sister, the one that I just told you about, she was nine months old when her mom left and moved in with another man and left her with my father. My brother was two years old at the time. They had some real problems going on, and they were in, if they'd have been at City Church, they'd have been in babies and toddlers. And they still, to this day, that was 1970 when that happens, they still to this day have complications, have issues, have problems related to what happened to them in 1970 when they were two years old and nine months old. My mom was four years old back in the 50s, I believe it was 1954, when she first started being molested. She was molested every summer for the time she was four, five, and six. All summer long, they had a summer cabin, and the next-door neighbor at the summer cabin abused her sexually, took advantage of her every summer for those three years. Kids have some legitimate problems. That's just my family, and I know my family's jacked up, but I know that we're not that much more jacked up than everybody else. Everybody can look back in your life and and see examples in your life and your siblings and your cousins and the people around you of some legitimate stuff that happened when you were a kid. And when you're a kid, you don't have the tools to really deal with it. 
you don't have the ability to really process it. I guarantee you, uh, at nine years old, I wasn't going up to my children's church teacher saying, yeah, my nephew passed away. He was born dead. I need you to pray for me. I didn't know how to articulate that. I didn't know how to work through that. But it doesn't mean I didn't need somebody praying for me. Doesn't mean I didn't need somebody who was there for me, somebody to let me know that they still cared about me, that they saw that something was wrong in my life. Never, ever underestimate the situations that kids go through. Here's the truth the same devil that comes after you and me comes after our kids. The same devil that wants to steal and kill and destroy in your life wants to steal and kill and destroy in their lives. And he's after them. And he wants to harm them before they're old enough to process it, before they're old enough to be able to articulate it, before they're old enough to know how to work, deal with it and work through it. Children have real problems. This girl in Matthew chapter 9 had a real problem. She was dead. And Jesus stepped into her situation. He injected the power of God into her situation. So the first thing that we see from the, the ministry of Jesus, I'm calling this uh, lessons from the example of Jesus. The first lesson we get is that children need the power of God just like adults do. Man, our kids need the power of God. We can't ever let that thing back there be babysitting. That can never be child care. We can't go in with that mindset. We as a church can't look at those teachers in there and look down on them like they're just babysitters. We've got to always recognize that ministry has to be happening. Man, we've got to be praying for our teachers. We've got to be praying that they're full of the Holy Spirit when they walk into their class, that they can see in the Spirit. I mean, I need to spend a little extra time with this kid today. Man, they have no idea what those kids have gone through that week. They need them. They need that ministry. Kids need the power of God just like we do. Second thing we're going to see is just one chapter over in Matthew chapter 10 if you want to turn there. This one may not seem like a big deal to you, but if you've ever served in children's ministry, if you serve in Kid City now, this one should be a huge deal to you to, to memorize, to remember, to stand on this promise of Jesus. Matthew 10, 42. Jesus says, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water, and actually in the original Greek translation, it doesn't say cold water. It actually says a cold cup. It doesn't specify. So we could write this in. We could say if anybody gives even a juice, uh, a juice box to a kid, if anybody gives a cup of Kool-Aid to a child, uh, he says to one of these little ones, because he's my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Jesus says there's a reward for serving children. There's a reward for loving on a child. Why would he say something like this? Because when you work with kids, you've got to do some things for kids that you don't have to do for adults. Me and Pam can come in and set up the coffee bar. She doesn't actually have to pour the coffee for you. She doesn't actually have to walk you to the bathroom after you had too much coffee so you can pee. Right? Praise Jesus for that. Pam's happy for that. Man, you start working in Kid City, you got to do some things for some kids that you don't have to do for adults. you got to help them out in some certain ways. You start... Loving on the real little ones, you might have to change a diaper. Man, imagine if God says there's a reward for serving a kid a cup of cold water, how much of a reward is there for somebody who changes dirty diapers? I'm just saying, I think that's a level above serving a cup of cold water. And he says, you're not going to lose your reward just for the cup of water, just for the cup of Kool-Aid. If you just serve one of these little ones, there's a promise of Jesus that there's a blessing that's going to come. Think about this. Think about it. 
the promise that Jesus has in, in our toddler's class. Uh, man, they're going to do the basics of the basics of ministry. They're going to have basically a one-sentence statement that they're trying to, to get into our kid's spirit on that day. It might be something as simple as Jesus loves you. And it might be so easy to look at that and see that there's not a lot of preparation involved. You didn't really have to pray and intercede for God to give you a message from the Lord. It's kind of given to you. It might be easy to look at that and think that it's not significant. But here's what I'd tell you. There are families who come in here. The families haven't been in church. There's families who come in here where mom and dad don't know Jesus. They haven't been praying for that baby. They haven't been teaching that child the truth of Christ. And some toddler's teacher gets an 18-month-old and begins to tell them Jesus loves you and thinks they're not getting any of this. They're not perceiving any of this. This is just a waste of my time. And one day they're going to get to heaven and find out that they were the first person to speak the eternal truth of the living God into the life of that child. Don't you ever underestimate the impact that you can make even with one of these little ones Jesus says if all you do is serve them a cup of water there's a reward how much more is the reward for those who are are praying for that kid throughout the week how much more is there a reward for the one who speaks the word of God into their life I think it's an amazing thing so the second lesson from the forgotten ministry of Jesus is that God promises a reward to his disciples who serve children There's a blessing for it. I believe in the next life, but I believe in this life. There's some incredible blessings for those who love on a kid. We're going to skip past a couple of examples of places where Jesus ministered to kids. Just for the sake of time, we're going to go to one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, Matthew 18, for our third example. Matthew 18 is very famous as the church discipline chapter. It's famous as the chapter on how to deal with our offenses. If you're going to be a Christian for a long period of time, you need to know Matthew 18 because you need to know how to work through some stuff because, man, Christians will bother you. I promise. They will hurt you. They will offend you. They will mess you up. And Matthew 18 gives us the keys to this. But before Jesus gets into this, at the very beginning of the chapter, he speaks one more time about kids. We see another example. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And they were asking this question for a reason, because they wanted the answer to be you. (laughs) They wanted to be the one who was the greatest. This was not a theological question of, is it Moses or is it Elijah? They want to know, is it Peter or is it John? Like, it's me, right? I'm your favorite. Come on, Jesus, I'm your favorite. Come on. Just tell me. I'm your favorite. They can know. It's okay. Like, that's what they're looking for. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so Jesus, in response, calls a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. See, a lot of times we get it backwards. We think kids got to be more like us in order to be Jesus. And we're wrong. We got to be more like them. We got to have more faith like them. We got to be more trusting like them. We got to be more innocent like them. But he finishes with this statement. He says, whoever welcomes a child in my name welcomes me. That word welcomes is translated a few different ways. It's oftentimes in scriptures, it's translated as honor. Whoever honors a little child honors me it's also translated receives whoever receives a little child receives me and so you so you see kind of the implications the context here Jesus is saying if you welcome a kid if you love a kid if you receive a kid if you honor a kid you're doing that unto me disciples are arguing about who's the greatest and they're overlooking the fact that the greatest among them is right there in their midst and they have no clue 
that it's this little child standing around them. If I were to tell you that, that we had a chance to get, I don't know, Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty to come preach next Sunday, uh, some of us would be very excited about that. I'd be excited about that. Some of us would be willing to do a little bit extra to make that happen, man. We'd give a little bit more if that's what it took, or we'd serve a little bit more. Maybe we'd have to have multiple services. If we had Phil, we'd probably have to have like six services in this building. I don't know. So, man, some of us, I'll serve two services. I'll serve three services. I'll be there all day. Just let me meet Phil. You know, we'd be willing to do whatever it takes to get somebody like that. It'd be awesome. It'd be a great experience. I don't, I'm not telling you we got that coming, so it's okay. But, but I'm trying to use this as an illustration. If we could get Phil Robertson here, man, we'd be pumped up. We'd be excited. We'd do whatever it takes to get Doc Dynasty at City Church. And yet Jesus has given us the recipe to get Jesus at City Church. It says whoever welcomes a child, whoever honors a child, whoever receives a child receives me. I think we need more Jesus at City Church. I think we need more of the power of God at City Church. I think we need more of his grace, more of his heart, more of his power in our midst. And Jesus says, here's the formula. Welcome a kid. Love on a kid. When I see a church, when I see an individual, when I see someone who has a heart for the same things that I have a heart for, that's when I show up. That's when I'm in their midst. Man, if we could just get this, if we could just rally together, just the the group of us who are here today, the hardcore city churchers who don't go out of town for spring break, who get up early on, on the week that we lose an hour, if just us in this room could get a hold of this, it would change the entire future of our church. We got a chance to welcome Jesus. And man, I'd love to welcome Phil Roberts into city church. Hope one day we get to do that. My personal, I want to welcome KJ Wright. I want KJ Wright to be the city church. He's a Seahawk player from Olive Branch. I'm the only Seahawk fan pastor in Olive Branch. I almost guarantee you, KJ Wright needs to come to city church. But man, how much greater is it to get Jesus in the city church? How much more should we bend over backwards? Should we do whatever it takes to get our Lord and Savior in our midst? And He's told us how to do it. So the third lesson from the forgotten ministry of Jesus is simply this: if we want to welcome Jesus at city church. We need to welcome kids. If we want to welcome Jesus into our midst, into our services, into our lives, we must welcome children. We have no idea the blessings that God has given us a chance to minister to. The disciples had no clue the power of the kids that were in their midst. If we move to the next chapter, Matthew 19, starting in verse 13, we see how clueless the disciples were. It says, then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Jesus was upset at his disciples for trying to keep the kids from getting to him. He wanted the kids to be around him. He wanted to minister to him. He wanted to love on him. He wanted to play with them. He wanted to pray for him. Jesus was upset that the disciples tried to prevent that from happening. And then he says something to the disciples that I think just went, Phew right over their heads. And I think when we read this passage, it goes right over our heads too. He says, such is the kingdom of heaven. Shalom and Tyler, will you all stand up for me? I want to I use you guys as an example. You don't have to do anything. You just got to stand up. Okay. Uh, if I was to look at the, if I was Jesus, and I'm not, but if I was Jesus and I was to look at Tyler and Shalom and say, such is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. What would I be saying? I'd be saying that heaven is full of teenagers. Heaven is full 
of people 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. Heaven's full of this demographic. You guys can sit down. Thank you. I know that was the hardest illustration you've ever been a part of. Uh, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't have a couple teenagers stand up, 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. He pointed to some children, some little ones. And he says, such is the kingdom of heaven. In, in the King James and the NIV here, it says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Here's the thing. Do you know that globally right now, somewhere between 50 and 60 million babies are aborted every year? 50 and 60 million every year. Statistics show us that, that at least that many and probably more miscarriages occur every year. And that's before we really get into things like the abortion pill, other things that happen to, to cause infant mortality. At a very, very low conservative estimate, over 100 million infants or younger die every year on planet Earth right now. And it's been that way for solid for about 50 years. So if you were to take one year and go to 10, Hundred million. That means at least every decade for the last five decades, there's been a billion, with a B, babies who've departed planet Earth, who've died on this planet through abortion, through miscarriage, through stillbirth, through infant mortality. Well over a billion every decade. That means over the past five decades, we're somewhere between four and five billion, probably well north of five billion babies just in the last 50 years in the history of planet Earth. Luke chapter 1 Mary is carrying Jesus in her womb, and she goes to see her cousin Elizabeth. And as she gets to Elizabeth's home, and she gets on the property, she calls out to Elizabeth. And at that very moment where she calls out to Elizabeth, Elizabeth begins to prophesy. And she prophesies two things. First of all, she prophesies that the baby in her womb, which is John the Baptist. In fact, he wasn't even John the Baptist yet. He was just John. They didn't know what denomination he was going to join yet. Uh, But John leaps in her womb for joy. He's excited at the presence of the Messiah, and Elizabeth understands it. She didn't know yet that Mary was pregnant. Mary had not posted on Facebook. She hadn't texted Elizabeth, say, I was pregnant, and I got the, the king of the world. The Messiah is in me. She hadn't had this communication. She was coming to Elizabeth to tell her, and she didn't even have to say it. Elizabeth knew it through the power of the Holy Spirit, and she knew that the baby in her womb leaped. John, at this point in time, was about six months Along. He was about 90 days from birth, 90 days from coming through the birth canal. How did this baby, who doesn't even yet understand language, who doesn't yet even understand all of communication, how could he know that something special is happening? It's because he was a spirit. He wasn't just a physical being. wasn't just a person with a mind. He had a spirit, and even though his mind wasn't developed yet, even though his body was not fully developed, he wasn't ready to be outside the womb, his spirit was developed. He was an eternal being, and his spirit recognized the Messiah is next door. And he leaped for joy at six months in the womb. See, babies in the womb have a spirit. They're an eternal being. And when that baby dies, it does not cease to exist. It goes somewhere, and I believe wholeheartedly it goes to be with the Lord. I believe Jason and Becky's baby is with Jesus right now, and they're going to get to meet that baby one day. Now listen. We got one billion kids being di- dying every decade, 100 million every year, going to be with Jesus. What's heaven like? Heaven's full of kids. Heaven is full of kids. Jesus points at these children. And he says the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, and it goes right over our heads. Heaven is just bursting at the seams 
with babies and children. It's all over the place. There's somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 billion that have just gone there in the last 50 years. And there's nowhere near that many Christians who have died in the last 50 years uh, of other ages. All other ages is far, far less number that are there. So when we get to heaven, I can say very safely uh, that this is the quietest world we'll ever live in. You go to heaven, there's going to be some noise. You got billions of kids running around. You go to hell, there's going to be some noise. It's a different kind of noise. I advise you not to go there. But if you go to heaven, it's going to be loud. So enjoy your rest now. There's no night in heaven. There's no sleep in heaven. It makes sense when you realize it's full of babies. It's full of kids. I'm joking, but I'm serious. It's full of kids. Heaven is full of kids. That's our fourth lesson from the forgotten ministry of Jesus, that heaven is full of children. We're going to be blown away. We're going to be shocked how many kids are there. When we lived in Seattle, uh, I was eight years old when my Uncle John passed away from cancer. And my uncle was not a Christian. Uh, and my parents had prayed for him and interceded for him as my dad's brother. And my mom actually went in. He, he was in a coma for about two weeks before he finally passed away. And my mom would go into his hospital room in the ER and just grab his hand and intercede for him. Just pray for him in the spirit while he laid there in a coma. And eventually... He passed away, and we thought we didn't get to him. We thought that he didn't receive Christ before death. And then we just started a new church, and there was a woman in that church who had a dream. She didn't know us. We'd never met. She had a dream, and she began, in her dream, she saw, I mean, a perfect description of our family. Down to, to the, there was an uncle with a wooden leg. My dad has an uncle with a wooden leg, and described the neighborhood just to a T that my uncle lived in. And so she goes to the pastor of the church and begins to describe, I had this dream, and it was crazy, and I feel like it meant something. Help me with this. And he, he knew our story. So he sent this lady, her name was BJ, to my parents, and, and they connected, and BJ told my parents this dream, and it was, I mean, to a T, she described my uncle, she described the house, she described the, the family, she described everything, and what was amazing is that we felt like this was God's way of telling us that, that John came to Jesus in his coma, that, that before he went on to the next life that he got saved. But here's what's crazy about this story, uh, apart from that. When she described when, that actually John was with Jesus, she described the house that he lived in, and she said, and there was John, and he was sitting next to Jesus and talking to Jesus. And then she said this. She said he was surrounded by children. The, the whole room was full of kids. Everywhere you look where Jesus is in the next life, there's going to be children around. Heaven is full of kids. We need to understand that, man, we need to get a heart. For the ones that Jesus has a heart for. Matthew 21, 14, our last passage of the day. As we wrap up today. It says, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. This is the triumphal entry. The day of the triumphal entry. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. They worship him. They wave palm branches. They celebrate him. Jesus comes in. He's high and lifted up. And then he goes to the temple. And he goes to the temple. And they're bringing every sick person they can find. Every crippled family member. Every blind family member. Every person who has any disease. They're bringing him to Jesus. And Jesus is the temple. And he's just going at it. He is showing his power. He is displaying his power. People are getting healed right and left. Listen to the reaction of the chief priests and Pharisees. Verse 15. When the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did. And the children shouting in the temple area. Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. How do they react? They see the miracles. They hear the kids. What are they upset about? They're not mad about the miracles. They're mad about the kids. Listen to this. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? 
you have ordained praise. God's ordained praise from the lips of children and infants. What's going on here? We see all these miracles happening. The lame are beginning to walk. The, the blind are being restored. People are being healed right and left. People that the enemy has kept in bondage through physical illness. Jesus is delivering them. He's fixing them. He's restoring them right and left. And these people, these chief priests and Pharisees, these teachers of the law, Satan's speaking through them. Five days later, Satan's going to speak through them, crucify Jesus. He is already beginning to manifest. I mean, he's been speaking through them throughout the Gospels. If you know anything about these guys, they don't say anything right. Everything they say is wrong. Everything they say is from the enemy. So Satan is inspiring them. He's speaking to them, and he's speaking through them. And he's not upset that these people that he's harmed for so long are getting fixed nearly as much as he's upset that these kids are calling out, this is the Messiah. They're praising Jesus, and that gets Satan really, really scared. He was more upset about the kids praising than anything else. Now, this is backwards to us. Let's just be real. If we had somebody who came into our midst today who was legally blind, who was documented in blindness, and we prayed for that person, and all of a sudden they could see, we're going to celebrate that one. Man, Samantha's putting together a testimony video. It's going up on the website when we get it restored. I mean, everything's going to get right. We're going to let everybody know this thing that happened. And we should, man. We should celebrate the power of God in our midst. The supernatural should be a part of our church. We believe that God still does miracles. That's not a bad thing that we celebrate that. But what we see here is that Satan, who understands the eternity much more than we do, he sees the significance of the babies speaking out for Jesus even more than the significance of people being healed. He sees the danger that this represents for him because you see the enemy remembers a 17-year-old kid who went off to face a giant who picked up a few stones and he slayed the giant and he delivered God's people. The enemy remembers three Hebrew children who stood before the most powerful king on the planet at that day and age, a man named Nebuchadnezzar who said, bow down before my idol. And these three kids said, we're not going to do it. We only bow down before the Lord of the eternity. We're not going to worship your idol. And Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm throwing you into my furnace and he throws them in the furnace and God protects them and they're saved. Satan remembers and so he hears these children worshiping Jesus and he says, oh crap, what are they going to do? It scares him. See, the enemy understands the power of the next generation. Why do you think he comes after him so hard? Why do you think he's trying to shove every lie from the pit of hell down their throats in school? Why do you think he's trying to shove every ounce of, of depravity down their throats through media? He's trying to get to them before it's too late because he knows what they can do to him. We got to understand that same thing. We got to discover the power of the next generation. So our last point today. As we see this temple full of children praising Jesus is number five. Even Satan understands the limitless potential of children who are in love with Jesus. Even Satan understands. And I think we can learn a lesson from his comprehension of what those kids can do. We see it all through Jesus' ministry. He's loving on kids. He's speaking about kids. He's showing us kids. He's modeling the importance of children. So here's what I want you to do. You know this was coming to a point. I'm going to ask everybody in here just to pray this next week about would God have a part for you to play in Kid City? Many of you have maybe been involved in Kid City before. Maybe you're involved in Kid City now. If you're involved in Kid City now, just pray with me that, that God will cause others to jump on board. But maybe you've written it off. Maybe you said it's not for me. Maybe, maybe you're like I was, and you're like, I'm a man. I'm, this ain't my thing. I'm not into this Mickey Mouse ministry. I, God's got a bigger calling on my life. I'm just going to ask you very sincerely as your pastor, I want you to pray the next seven days. God, do you have a part for me to play in Kid City? Just open up the question. 
God, you have a part for me. Let me, by the way, I, I forgot to mention this. Uh, we've got three men who serve in Kid City right now. One of them sitting right over there, Vincent Marsh. You're the man. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Kenneth Schrode sitting right there. Thank you for loving our kids, man. Thank you for being involved in the life of a kid. Tim Tubbs is in there right now. Pray for Tim. Just, just pray for Tim. Uh, but, man, we love you, Tim. Thank you, Tim and Rose, for serving our kids, for loving our kids. I love men who've embraced that calling, who've embraced that opportunity. Dwindle's going to be in there next week. Pray for the kids. Uh, but Just kidding. Pray for Dwindle. Uh, but, man, I'm so grateful for men who love on our kids. And if you're, that, if you're a man here today, man, I'd ask you to ask God, do you have a part for me to play in this? I'm not telling you you've got to do it. I'm not telling you everybody's got to get involved. But ask the question, honestly and sincerely before the Lord. And not just men, women, young people, all of us. Go before the Lord and ask if he's got something for you in Kid City. What we're going to do next Sunday is we're going to have sign-up opportunities for people. Maybe you're not a member of the church yet. Uh, we're going to start Next Steps in two weeks. I'll tell you more about that at the end of the service. But you can join the church in two weeks, and we can get you involved in Kid City within six weeks. You can get a chance to do it. Here's what I'm asking you to pray about. Pray about a three-month trial. Three-month trial means you'll be in there three Sundays. Three Sundays out of 13. Not that big of a commitment. Pray about just trying it out. We're going to give you a chance to experiment, find what age group is right for you. Some of you are better with the older kids. Some of you might be better with the younger kids. Some of you may be somewhere in between. Some of you are great with all of them. But, man, we want to help you to find the right place. But I believe very, very strongly that the people who are going to take City Church to its greatest heights, the people who are going to make the greatest impact in this community, who God is going to show his power through the greatest, aren't even in this auditorium yet. And if we seize the opportunity to mentor those kids, to disciple those kids, to love on those kids, to pray for those kids, there's no stopping what God can do through this church. I believe that wholeheartedly. We are one generation away from seeing God do something radical in this community like never happened before. And if we will grab heart, Grab that heart for kids together. If we'll join together and link arms and each of us do our part, share the ministry to kids, you'll be blown away what God does in this community. I promise you that. So pray about it. Next Sunday, I'm going to give you a chance to sign up for it. We're going to talk a little bit more about children's ministry. I've got a couple other passages I want to share with you and show you next Sunday as we wrap up this series.